1: performance center a friday roundtable and a very special one matthew collar here with you purple insider along with sam ekstrom as always and espn's courtney cronin as we react to quasi adafo mensa's opening press conference and uh i'm just gonna start out with this courtney that we now know a lot about quasi adafo mensa we don't know a lot about what he's going to do from today's press conference. I think we learned just about his background. We could talk about how he views the analytics thing, Mm -hmm. which he really doesn't seem to want attached to him in the way that he talks. Uh, But we were given no indication of how much roster control he has, which he didn't want to answer, or where he's going to go with different things. And he said he was just going to start talking with the leadership council and calling players basically after he talked with us. I think that's my biggest takeaway of today is that we have a really good understanding of who he is, where he came from, who influenced him, but the rest of the stuff we're going to have to find out with actions and not so much work.
2: Yeah, I think that he danced around the 53-man roster question probably the best way that he could because he doesn't have a head coach in here you don't necessarily want to affect the head coaching search and have a GM say I have the ultimate say at the end of the day what if that sways a head coach it does not want to come here not saying that, that should be like the ultimate deciding factor most general managers and personnel people who are executing these contracts executing bringing these players in usually end up having the head the final say which is something that Rick Spielman did have here but I thought he'd give a good political answer from it where it needs to be a partnership and that's the thing I took from this entire press conference about the collaboration effort and when he talks about analytics it's not oh here are the number nerds coming in and trying to tell you how to play football with a computer it's hey, there's nuance to all of this. A talent evaluator can watch film, can grind the tape, can be looking to see if somebody has oily hips, but somebody else with an analytics background might come in and say, okay, well, we missed something here, and the numbers will tell us why we missed it. So I think melding the two, In same thing with the head coaching search where he talks about getting into it already, that you know, it's not just going to be him deciding on it, that if you ask anybody around him, he's somebody who asks questions. That's – he He checked all the boxes that Mark Wilf wanted to be checked when they talked about, you know, weeks uh, – 10, 17 days ago, however many days it was that they fired Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman of great communicators, great collaborators, great leaders. So far, he won the press conference because every single answer traced back to one of those things.
0: Yeah, you know, Rick Spielman wasn't the most comfortable in front of cameras, and, I mean – Quasi is very comfortable. Yeah. Like he, he's extremely. he's just fun to listen to. And we we had a little bit of a, a back and forth with him after the fact. And he was he was really comfortable there too. And biographically, I feel like we know a lot about him more than I ever knew about Rick Spielman. So that certainly like helps inform his thought process. And I get the sense that he's um, trying to separate himself. I think from sort of his Wall Street time, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to be pigeonholed as the analytics guy, as you mentioned. And he said that in his Cleveland introductory presser two years ago. John Lynch said that about him, that he hates the, the analytics buzzword. And it seems like he wants to be viewed as a football executive and not the analytics Wall Street guy, because he's only nine years removed from sort of that that life. And, you know, he shows up at the MIT Sports Analytics Conference and has this connection to the 49ers, and, and he's making spreadsheets for them and teaching about financial literacy. and But he evolved from that. And in Cleveland, he had like a legitimate you know sort of job with the personnel and the roster and and decisions that were being made strategies there and i think he does want to be viewed as a football guy and not just sort of the myopic analytics guy yeah. and he he did seem to to introduce that as a piece of what he's doing but certainly not the whole package and i i think he does bring um, credibility to the table in that he's been part of some like a San Francisco club that that made a Super Bowl in in his final year there, a Cleveland team that With sort of and five came out season, of, yeah. of you know com- mired in mediocrity and and made it to the playoffs. So um, even though he's only been in football for nine years now, I I think that he is a trustworthy voice and i think he can lean on his credentials even though it's a short career and say hey i've done this i'm more than just a numbers geek
2: yeah and i here's the thing like in front offices across the nfl like as much as people try to be oh we're forward thinking we partner with pff you still have people who are in the old-school football realm of, I'm an evaluator. I'm out on the road watching players. I know who has good technique and technique at the end of the day. Whoever's ass you can kick in the trenches, that's going to win you football games. There is a need for that still, but I think with Kwesi coming in and effectively disarming the notion that, hey, I'm a quant, I'm smarter than all of you, because that, I think tend to think, that's a divide between – "Quote unquote traditional football people and these anal- and people who have the analytics background, where it's oh this person's coming in. They're saying they're smarter than me because they know how to do equations and put graphs together and spreadsheets and all of that. And I liked his story. He told us that when he was in San Francisco, I think it was when he was, you know, one of his early years in research and development." Where he comes in and says, you know, they're all going around the room and he talks about who he is and that he's like, I don't know what analytics is. And he's like, I dropped an expletive in there to, you know, sound extra football y. And I I get it because, and I know that I laugh about this because, you know, you know, I like to have fun about football people and football men and how emotional they are and all these other things. Like, he seems to get that part too because that's not how you can walk into a place and walking into a scouting staff here where you have Jamal Stevenson and Ryan Munnins who have been with this organization for two decades along with Rob Brzezinski two plus decades like you can't come in and just start like all of a sudden wiping the slate clean even if that is eventually your intended approach like you've got to meld those beliefs because even the truest of grinders of the tape still need analytics to make their job work this is 2022 you're not just you know you're not just going and taking measurables at the Combine and expecting that that's going to yield you somebody who's going to win a Super Bowl. There's a big element that I think that they were missing here with that and what Kwesi, from his his economic background, if you don't want to call it a- analytics, we've got to call it. It's, it's numbers to a degree and quantitative analysis. Um, you know, That stuff is important in, in, in what he's going to be able to do here and how he's going to overall change the process.
1: You had a really good line about it. When he was asked about the analytics, uh, talking about how analytics and scouting try to cover each other's blind spots.
2: Yes, I love that part of that answer. Right, because numbers
1: can't tell you about someone's personality, which is a, a... We've all covered players whose personalities were the reason they succeeded. I mean, I think of Terrence Newman of being able to play late into his 30s when his physical skill still you know wasn't there anymore. And Anthony Harris, who... Um, went from an undrafted player or Adam Thielen, who didn't necessarily have unbelievable pro day numbers. I mean, those players' personalities, their football character is the reason that they had such great success. So that's something a scout can tell you much more than a number can. Uh, but at the same time, there are numbers that could tell you, hey, maybe this isn't the right player value-wise to draft. Or maybe there's an analytic red flag with a certain player that doesn't have production that matches up. And that doesn't mean you never do it. It just means that that's something you have to pay attention to and the thing is that the edges are so small like every team puts so much money into all of this that the the biggest edge can be if someone says hey our numbers say that you should not draft a center in the first round. Yeah. And I Gary Bradbury's been catching some strays on the show and I'm sorry to him, but that's one of the worst draft picks of any team of the last 10 years because of when they picked him and how bad he was and how much he played and hurt the team because he was a high draft pick. If you're if you are an analytics person, you look at that pick and go You can't be serious with picking a center. You just can't. I know your scouts love them, but that's not where you pick a center. And that same draft has A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, these other players who have massively impacted their franchises that they didn't get because they loved how the guy outside zone blocked. It's like, that's a blind spot where a scout, the scouts were probably right, like in what he could do the best, Sure. but the blind spot was not having the numbers to direct you in the right way that this is not a good value pick.
2: And that's the thing I really liked what he said, where analytics and like traditional evaluation, scouting, watching players, it's all information gathering, right? Like the numbers and the analytics, that helps you, like Matt was saying, figure out, okay, What's the best value? And I think the draft is going to be the biggest place we first start to see that return on investment of having a new thinker in that spot, somebody who ultimately will be pulling the strings on who gets drafted and who gets drafted where. Think about where they're picking right now. I believe it's 12th. Like cornerback obviously comes to mind quarterback also comes to mind and we didn't get a chance to talk with Kwesi about the quarterback situation the massive one that they have to figure out ASAP when they get a head coach in here but of how how all of those things are going to factor into the value and what they're doing with the roster and the players that they have on the roster the return on investment they can get from them but also the value of who, who else they want to bring in, whether it's a free agent or whether it's a draft pick, because there's ways to like, I think he has enough experience in seeing how Andrew Barry did it in Cleveland, where they were taking all of this quantitative research and analysis, which I know a lot of people will roll their eyes at and say, well, you can't like build a team off a spreadsheet. And it's not just measurables. It's not just like how fast a guy runs a 40 or, you know, how far somebody can throw a ball. It's, The melding of all of those things and if you see something with your eyes and you trust your eyes in your evaluation process you also have to look and say okay what did I miss because the analytics will tell you probably what you missed or what you actually might you know have done in in the right way like it it could end up it's I think it really what I think it boils down to is it this is going to kill a lot of biases which is good like because those type of things don't necessarily lie now Analytics when it comes to like going forward on fourth down and all of those things, that's a different subject. Mm-hmm. And that's a different thing when it comes to what Quasi Adolfo Mensa's role is going to be and what you know the the stuff on game day. Mm-hmm. That's that's different. But like when we're we're talking about roster building here and we're talking about how you bring the right players in, and there's a way to do it that I don't know like how many times did Rick Spielman talk about the offensive lineman studies that they've done. What did that yield? Like, I'd like to see actual research and and the analytics that will provide you the better draft picks and the better – because, like, if you think about it, the draft rate is 40%. That's a 40% hit rate. Like, you can't just be like, we're going to draft and be amazing. Like, I think that having somebody like this with this background coming in who can see outside of the box – and honestly – The whole answer of we've always done things this way, I don't think that's going to fly here anymore, even though it's one person coming in with all of these staff members he's going to retain at least through the draft.
0: Yeah, and there certainly are some biases with the way this roster was constructed. They valued, you know, the running game because mm-hmm. of who the head coach was. They paid their in-house guys, even though they were at positions that are not a high value. So Quasi comes in, they're paying a safety a ton of money. They're paying a linebacker a ton of money. Paying Two them. defensive tackles. A wide receiver a running, was a very high cap a hit. Running back, yeah. I mean, I wrote about the personnel decisions on our website. He's got to come in and he's going to have to rattle some cages right away. Yeah. Like, And I know that he said he's going to go and call all the players and say hi to everybody and learn the names. And it's going to be some awkward conversations there, particularly with number eight, who he's going to call. And I mean, that's the elephant in the room mm-hmm. that your contract is what is holding this back. Team
2: back, yeah, and, absolutely.
0: And it's much easier for me to make one move get rid of that QB money and not have to upset everybody else and have to renegotiate, ask guys to take pay cuts, cut guys in training camp just to be cap compliant. So he's going to have to come in and do a a pretty quick audit and, and realize the inefficiencies, how to get more efficient, and then figure out, all right, what is the best method of, you know, approaching this in free agency and then the draft. And I actually love that, that, Within three months, guys, we're going to, I think, have a pretty clear view of how he operates because we're going to see who he values roster wise, um, how the draft gets approached. The Vikings were so formulaic in the draft and so predictable. They would always go for need, you know, in the first round, kind of regardless of, of talent. Then they would go, you know, fourth round defensive end, fifth round wide receiver, seventh round linebacker trade back four times i i can't find a quarterback
2: on day three that ends up not being anything
0: yeah or a udfa who they give a lot of money for no reason like i i'm really excited to see the first moves he makes what the order of operations are to get a view into his perspective Mm -hmm.
1: i personally think nate stanley was a better athlete than you guys thought he was remember that from draft day where we were told nate stanley is a better athlete than you guys think you're like didn't they say something something about his arm his how great
0: his, his arm was had a long neck. He could see over the offensive
1: line. He was no Mike Glennon. Uh, so he, so here's the thing about the draft. I will forever and always, until this changes, believe that no team is better than any other team in the draft when it comes to the hit rate that you talked mm-hmm. about. That over a long period of time, every team will have the about the same. And over years and years and years, about the same. There could be hot stretches of drafting and cold stretches of drafting, which the Vikings have gone through recently. But it's also about where your hits and misses come from. If you draft a center and he becomes the best center in the league, how much did that really help you? Like, is this team a Super Bowl contender if they hit on that first round pick? No. If they had drafted Debo Samuel, it might be different. I mean, we might be talking about covering playoff games right now. But you know, that's the thing. It's like If you hit on Justin Jefferson and miss on Laquan Treadwell, you made the right choice drafting both of those guys. It's just one hit and changed your franchise. It changed what a new GM gets to see. That's the whole point about drafting the right players. The other thing is that uh, our buddy Arif, he does the consensus draft board. And what it's shown from the consensus draft board is that teams that reach usually end up paying for it. Like That doesn't often work. Players that fall kind of 50-50, sometimes you get a great steal, sometimes you don't. But if you're reaching, if you're doing the Raiders thing and you're drafting Alex Leatherwood, who's a second or third round draft pick in the middle of the first round, you are playing with fire there. And it's numbers like that that can help you avoid a big mistake that I think that they started to disregard here with Rick Spielman. A, A lot of things that when they built it the first time, it seemed like the second time around or the second section of Spielman-Zimmer, they just started to disregard red flags for desperation, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Sam, for need. And that's one of the things that Kwesi has here is there's no desperation. I think that, and somebody sent me an email today disagreeing with this assessment, so you can tell me, Courtney, what you think. But I think that the fan base is so refreshed By hearing a GM who talks like this, feeling like they're cutting edge, having people talk around the league about like, wow, this is quite the hire that you've made, this process-driven person, this modern person. I think there's patience to make the right moves and make the right process moves and not feel like, well, you know, we lost corner in free agency, better draft corner.
2: Yes, and... I want to answer that kind of in a two part way, because I remember 17 days ago now when Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman were fired, when Mark Wolf kind of gave the new coaching staff, the new GM, I thought a kiss of death by saying, no, we don't think we're in a rebuild. We think that we can field a competitive team next year. I thought that would scare away a lot of candidates because when you think, and oh my God, this team did this in 2018 when they went after Kirk Cousins, they never, they were so careful to never say, we think he's going to bring us a Super Bowl. That's the expectation. He said, we feel like we're a quarterback. You know, he was the missing piece. That's what they were alluding to. And it worried me when Mark Wolf said that because that, if you're a GM, it's you've got the clock ticking on you from the second you get in the building of having to field a very competitive team. This is a different candidate. This is a candidate who is rooted in creating processes and seeing those processes through. A process is not an overnight thing. So will he get a little bit more leverage from ownership of if they have to take a step back this coming year in order to be competitive a year from now? Because Sam and I were talking about this off air because I I waffle on this every single day. I can see benefit in trading Kirk Cousins absolutely because of the albatross of his contract. I can also see a benefit in just keeping him here for one more year and then figuring it out whether you go to the draft this year, whether you you know look at next year's draft class with the quarterbacks because it tends to be a deeper class, at least just from first glance. And if you have to field a competitive team, if you're the GM who feels the heat from ownership of hey, we still think we're pretty good, like just help us get bridge the gap you're keeping cousins because if you don't your offense looks like it did in Green Bay and you're probably like the Giants struggling to score 10 points a game that's tough but I tend to think that the breath of fresh air that you talk about and just you know this is such a departure from what they had for 16 years and not saying that like Rick Spielman was you know bad at his job or things like that he had some really good draft picks he also had some really bad ones a lot of GMs around the league do that like if we're going to be giving Rick Spielman a lot of flack, let's go give John Robinson a lot of flack for the contract that he gave to Ryan Tannehill and some of the other stupid things that the Tennessee Titans did at playoff team that just found their way out of the first round. That's like that's everywhere. But the approach that Kwesi has, because it's so different, and that I think that these fans are so starved for just wanting something different because... If they would have kept any sort of the same order that it was before, it would have been here we go again. We know yep. the outcome before it happens. We don't know what this outcome is going to be. We don't know how he's going to meld with the rest of the front office. Like he won the press conference today for sure, but nobody can project, like, oh, five years from now, the Vikings will have gotten to another NFC championship because of the GM that they hired. They hired the best candidate for what they want for the long term. Now, we can go into Ryan Poles and that whole thing. It's a whole nother argument and discussion topic of who they really wanted at first versus how this thing ended up turning out. You had polar opposite sides of the spectrum. polesler opposites. This is kind of like oh. your, your Harrison Smith pro bowl, LOL headline mm-hmm. that will forever be in my hall of fame of headlines. But um, I'll give <laughs> that you that. A, one. That was a
0: crazy pun that you just made.
2: You're, you're making ahead. me crazy over here. I, I'm it was so smart that
1: I'm now a Mensa member.
2: OK. Oh, I hate my life. Um, Anyways, no, I mean, there's – I do think that there is a lot of optimism that I haven't seen in five years covering this team, and that's typically what you get starting ground – like, from the ground up. But, like, are we – do we look at, like, our colleagues down in, in Florida – excuse me, not Florida, in Chicago, and think, okay, Matt Eberflus is a head coach, Ryan Poles is a head coach. Is there that much optimism around that? Well, I don't necessarily think so because – you got a football guy as your general manager, and you have a defensive coordinator from Indianapolis who's now in Chicago. Like, that's kind of like the same old, same old. It's not saying you're not reinventing the wheel there. You're just kind of doing what you've always done. This is something that they haven't done. Like, of course, I think the big thing I've seen. And in, in Cleveland dealt with this too, with uh, you know bringing in Paul D. Podesta, bringing in the Sashi Browns of the world. Like people think, oh, you can't have business people running the show, or you can't have baseball analytics guys, because that's why I can't stand baseball. Baseball is way too many analytics for me. My brain can't handle all of that. That's the only pause that I get from fans, at least in my Twitter mentions, of like, don't turn this into Moneyball, don't turn this into something it's not. You can you can use what you know to implement here and help the system and help the process but like don't don't try to go wide left just to go wide left Don't say wide left. Sorry. Don't take don't take a hard left turn just to do it.
1: Folks, support for Purple Insider is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, and they recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle Performance Package. Four million men have trusted Manscaped, and you can check out their exclusive offer for 20% off and free shipping with the code Twenty Insider at Manscaped.com. Manscaped sent me the Performance Package, and I could say that it's a game changer, especially when it comes to their nose and eyebrow hair trimmer called the Weed Whacker. I'm a unibrow guy, so I need to keep that in check for all the YouTube videos and streams that we do. You've probably also heard of the lawnmower as well, and they've come out with a 4.0 version, which is waterproof. It has an LED light and advanced skin-safe technology, so you don't have to worry about any nicks or cuts. Again, get. 20% 20% off and free shipping with the code 20INSIDER. That's 20INSIDER at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. The code 20INSIDER. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
0: I appreciated sort of his realistic statements where he said, you know, on Wall Street, you you make some trades, you look at the your bets at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and your scorecard's not always going to be good. Yeah, And I think he's realistic that some moves won't work out, and we didn't hear a lot of that from the previous regime. Like, think about the times when Rick Spielman would talk to us. It was pre-draft talking about you know how great the draft process is they have and how great free agency was and then talking during the bye week about how hopeful they are for the season and it was always couched in an optimism that didn't always sound authentic but there was rarely accountability like we wouldn't hear from Spielman after a a failed season we wouldn't hear from him after a losing streak Um, it was always sort of him talking about how great everything is and it was it got to the point where we were seeing the results and hearing something different And it felt kind of like gaslighting. And I think keeping in mind that there is a grass is greener bias with someone new like this, um, it feels like there's going to be a little more accountability and a little more sort of realism that we're going to put this process in place. It doesn't ensure results. But if we're process driven, then over time, the results will come knowing that, progress is not going to be linear and that's one yeah. of my tenets is that like there's probably going to be some ups and downs and and to your point courtney about what to do with cousins i think there's a couple conversations happening number one is does keeping cousins for a year just stall the process stall
2: the inevitable sure does
0: it because i think we can all agree he's not the quarterback of the future so does that just Put the process in neutral. Install you for a year.
2: But like, what are your other options? That's what Kwesi has to come in here and justify to ownership, to the rest of the scouting staff, to the coaching staff that he gets in. I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's got a couple days pretty much before. Like, I tend to think they're going to hire somebody by next week. You have to because you have, like Sam was saying, you have eight or nine big roster decisions that you have to make. None, none as big as Kirk Cousins, but. You've got to make that process. You got to do go fast because by the time the combine rolls around, you have to have an idea of what you're doing going into that. Like, you know, does he? If they want to be competitive next year, if and also factor in the financial stuff that the wolves have to deal with, like. They're paying two people a lot of money to sit home and not be working on football teams next year. Does that factor into we don't want to pay 20-something plus dead dead cap in having Kirk Cousins go play somewhere else? And you also have to understand, like, no one's taking Kirk Cousins straight up with that contract. You'd be taking on a portion of that to be able to get his ass out of here. Like, that's just what it is. And so, like... He has to come in and, like, evaluate all of those things to understand what the best course of action is. And if it is delaying the inevitable, you can get your cap healthy in other ways. But I just – I still go back to if they think they're going to field a competitive team next year, you've got to look at what the other options are available to you. I mean, are you going to, like, try to, like, trade for Derek Carr and then you have to sign him to an extension? Like, what are you going to do? So my
1: question is, do you think you are L.A. or you're Detroit? In this Stafford for Jared Goff. Trade. Sure. Like, cause if you good think question. you're if you think you're in LA, you're living in a fantasy land. If you think you are Detroit, then you're much closer to right. This roster has more good people than Detroit had last year. But make no mistake, like that's you. When you look at how Detroit performed in the last two years of Matt Stafford, Like, that's you. You A team that every year went into the season saying, let's sign Trey Flowers. He'll be the difference. He'll get Matt Patricia's defense going. A defensive head coach who was a bully and didn't really get it. Does that sound familiar? Like, Matt Stafford kind of kept that thing afloat to where they could be competitive when he was in, but he also had some injury issues. And they stumbled around in the dark for several years as their roster just fell apart after the Jim Caldwell era. So they traded him away in a great trade for Detroit. They got tons of draft capital. They moved on from their longtime quarterback that I'm sure was difficult, but he was always good Not Mahomes great. Uh, He's been excellent in the playoffs for an outstanding team, which, by the way, was PFF's number one graded team. So all the grades of the players combined, that's what their roster is. That's not what you have here. You have a team that was mid-pack or lower for the complete overall uh, accumulation of talent with a few really good players that you could also maybe move on from and start anew. You don't have to do the complete tank, but you're much closer to where Detroit was in making that trade. And that's when the Baker Mayfield thing comes up and everything else. Like you're much closer to where they are than where LA was. And I wonder how they view themselves because I don't think if you're Mark Wilf, you come out and say, oh folks, we are rebuilding." Those ninety nine jerseys you have, get rid of them. Oh, do you like Dalvin Cook? Ha, lol. Like he's gone. Uh, That's don't get the Dalvin Cook number four jersey, folks. It's it's not gonna be in not gonna be in purple. Right. You can't say that. You uh, can't say uh, it. But like
2: the way that he he was so aggressive on that answer of like no, like I would say. We think that we need to rethink our processes to say that to say we do not see this as a rebuild because rebuild tend – like, they're going to be rebuilding on the defensive side of the ball. Kwesi comes in here and absolutely knows that because look at – you have eight or nine bubble guys that are still under contract yeah. and may, may or may not be on your roster. And that includes also, like, the people who are uh, pending free agents. But that's going to be a rebuild. Whether you like it or not, call it something else if you have to, but – that's I just I think that that was not the right way to approach it when he said it right after the, I agree. the the season ended and you fired everybody like be more realistic about it maybe now that time's passed they will be like we'll we'll eventually be able to tell like how how much like that mattered by the move that they the, reflecting in the moves that they make.
1: Well, one I I think that fans want that. I mean I think that fans want them to take the long approach because the recent approach was. Bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about this. They played 31 games the last two years with playoff implications. So they played two meaningless games. 31. They won 13. I mean, you went 13 for 31 in the last two years with this quarterback, this roster, this approach of trying to rebuild quickly and make desperate moves like nobody could be sold on that. And I feel like this is where Kwesi has to look at it and say, Guys, if, if your ownership is saying, we, we, we need to be like L.A., we need to trade for Vaughn Miller, and that's how we need to do it. He's got to say, guys, that's what you were doing, and that wasn't working. So mm-hmm. we have to take a new approach because it does not take somebody with an, a whatever from Stanford to tell you that it wasn't working the last two years. As you said, Sam, the results tell you right there. Uh, there was one thing I, I wanted to say that I came away with. I don't think he has any idea how hard this job is, and the good part of it is he's got time to find out. Because I walked out of there and said to Sam as we were walking out, like this is this is a person who's very naive about how hard this is going to be. You are not the third or fourth executive down the line. You are the guy who takes every bullet. You are the guy who has to live and die with every single move and everything is attached to you. And he said something to us like, hey, you know, I mean, after a loss, I'll still say, hi, guys, how's your weekend? I'm like, no, you won't. And you shouldn't. Like, none of these guys are like that. Like, I don't think he has any quite idea what he's getting into exactly until he gets punched in the mouth a few times, which is fine because you've got a, at least a year to reset everything and start. It's like a college coach that takes over rebuilding their program. These aren't my recruits yet. That's how I look at it. These aren't my players yet, so until it's really his roster, and that'll give him time to transition into that. But I think this job is way harder than he thinks it is right now, and he's going to find out how hard and,
2: it is. And he's learned under some really talented people. I mean, John Lynch was a first-year general manager yep. who yep. really screwed up with that Reuben Foster pick. I know because I was there. I covered. Technically, Kwesi and I would have uh, overlapped the 2016 season, and then I was there for, like, the beginning of was 17. Was he on your radar
0: when, when you were there? No,
2: I didn't like, know who No one really knew who he was. No, I mean, like, obviously, the guy he mentioned, Prague Marity, who's their uh, EVP of football operations, he's their Brzezinski, brilliant mind. Their cap guy out there is really, really talented. And so when he mentioned that that's somebody who was, like, a mentor to him, I was like, okay, good. You've got, like, really smart people in your corner, and obviously, the guy is very smart himself, but... Like he got to learn to see what a first-year general manager in both spots, both John Lynch and with Andrew Berry, seeing the hits and the misses that both of them had made. It's not like he walked into a situation and had like a super seasoned vet. Um, I mean, I guess he would have been there with Trent Balky in San Francisco, but those were after the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl year, and he saw how drafting cornerbacks in the third round with ACL injuries is never a good idea. But I think that that's a benefit to him where he's seen younger people like himself, first timers do this and learn in the first two or three years what works and what doesn't. Like, I just think it would be different and there'd almost be a sense of disconnect when if he walked in and he had like a Rick Spielman here, like remember like the the buzz that was, about, was supposed to be around here that Rick was still going to be in the building, and of course, if he was, you have him. You could either view it one of two ways: like he's there as guidance, or he's looking over your shoulder and you're feeling nervous about every decision that you make. I think he's been in a really good spot with Cleveland, a young group of executives, a lot of them who have business degrees, economics degrees, the non-traditional football, sport management, sport whatever uh, background a lot of these people have. So that's that's huge. And so I I think he's actually walking into a situation. I know any think you know you might be naive about it and of course like we're all optimistic and wanting to change the world when we get these jobs and not that we not that we're general managers but like everybody walks in with a lot of hope you could get humbled very very quickly Mm -hmm. with that that's what i mean and i think there will inevitably that will inevitably happen to everybody it's just a matter of what do you do this off season to try to limit that humble pie that you're going to have to eat because yeah you can come in here and you can you can make really hard decisions and piss people off along the way. That's fine. But that business is business, strictly financial. That's what you have to do in a case like Kirk Cousins if you are going to trade him and trying to just be like, all right, rip the Band-Aid off, get it done now because you're delaying the inevitable. Like, Again, I can see why he'd be on the roster in 22. I can absolutely see why a trade would, would happen here. But either way, he's going to be making moves that are not going to sit well with every single person, but he's got to be – Strong enough mentally and with like the wherewithal, be like, I can't second guess myself on this. I'm not the top evaluator in these meetings, but I have to trust. All of my gathered information, which comes from the analytics, which comes from talking to scouts, which comes from talking to your personnel directors and make the informed decision from there and stick by it. That's what I liked with about what he said, where, you know, in sense of bringing them championships, he talked about like we have to have like the wherewithal and the ability to once you make a decision, you know, stick with it at that point. Folks,
1: wanna tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. The new year is a great time to focus on what's important to you, whether it's saving money by ordering less takeout, learning to cook, or just prioritizing your wellness. HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple, and enjoyable hello fresh offers the flexibility that you need to easily customize your order you can do that online or with their app you can easily change your delivery day your food preferences your plant size or you can skip a week whenever you need to i've had a chance to try hello fresh and trust me it is as easy as it sounds and they sent me their cheddar wonder burgers which look if you're a football guy the thing you're ordering is burgers, right? And uh, it was delicious and great and I didn't have to drive to a fast food restaurant. So HelloFresh uh, has been great for me and you should check it out. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash Insider16 and use the code Insider16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash Insider16 for up to 16 meals free and three free gifts. Again, hellofresh.com. Learn more at marines.com.
0: Yeah, you you took the words out of my mouth, Courtney, because there's a dichotomy here. Analytics, efficiency, evaluation, that can be a very impersonal process. And if you only make decisions based on that, you will upset some people because these are human beings and there are other opinions. And if you're going to incorporate the collaboration that he's also talked about, um, sometimes those two things are going to clash. It might be tough for him to to disappoint a new coach to say, hey, man, we're going to decimate this roster a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I know this is your job and you would like to be here a while and not be on the hot seat next year. But this is what I have to do. Um, going to have to disappoint some guys that he may just be meeting on the roster. You know, that's those are all going to be hard decisions. And he seems like an affable person who wants to be liked. He wants to make a good impression mm-hmm. on, on everyone. And that could also lend itself to not wanting to rock the boat as much. And yeah. and there's you know probably a portion of the fan base that doesn't want to see them tear the thing down. And they're okay with kind of being in the hunt. So he will have to disappoint some people. And will he be willing to do that? And we'll find out, like we said, right away if he's willing to make those tough decisions. Right?
1: How ruthless are you going to be? And Mm -hmm. because I think it does take ruthlessness. and There are people in the front office who have ties to these players that mean a lot to them. I scouted this guy. Mm -hmm. This guy means a lot. We paid – and with Spielman, like, I always understood it. I didn't think it was right, but I always understood it. If you are the guy that found Anthony Harris and then he leads the league in picks, you want to pay him. And if you are the guy who drafted Harrison Smith and he's in his 30s and he's making all pros – you want to pay him, and you want to be like, look at these great That's players. That's the human that right, element of football.
2: Right. But When they try to pretend it's not there, those are the decisions you point at, being yes. like you all of a sod- sudden like, thought Anthony Harris was deserving of a franchise tag right. after one season where he like led the league in picks, and then you see how much Philadelphia paid him after that. Right. Like and then they no. couldn't
1: trade him either.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: were there any? What were some ruthless decisions that Spielman even made? I'm trying to think where he ranks on the ruthless scale, 1, ten, one to 10. One I to mean, Bill Garren.
2: Maybe the only one is just like, buy Case Keenum. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <You know? laughs> See ya. But, but can you, can't you draw parallels to that too? Because the franchise is at a turning point right now. You can go one way or you can stay in mediocrity and yeah. nobody wants to be rooted in mediocrity. And that was a year coming up short where they make the NFC Championship game off of... A miracle play that really, you know, in theory probably shouldn't have happened that way. And then they go get blown out in the NFC championship. So they saw it as, hey, you guys can't help us anymore get to our ultimate goal. That's why they went after Cousins to begin with. Now you have to look at it and say, on this roster right now, like I think about Daniil Hunter and the tough Mm -hmm. decision that they're going to have to make with him. The guy's Mm -hmm. played seven games in two years. Yes, he could be a franchise piece, a cornerstone piece that you build around. But are you willing to hedge so much of your financial liabilities in him because you like you just still consider him this blank slate, this blank blank canvas at 27 years old? I don't know. Like there are some hard decisions that he's going to have to make. And you know, we talked about Adam Thielen; he's got like a 17 million dollar cap hit next year. It's expensive. Like, do you ask him to restructure? Do you cut him? Do you try to trade him? Like, there's a lot of guys on this roster. And you know, I thought about Kwesi, and, and you mentioned Dalvin Cook. My brain was like, well. You know what the first move that they made this offseason was, or last offseason in August? They extended Nick Chubb. Oh, so, yeah. like, yeah. it's crazy walking they, yeah. into this being like, hmm, he likes running backs. I'm going to keep him? Like, that was the first move before Denzel Ward, before the offensive lineman I think they did recently, before Baker Mayfield. So, like, I think there's some parallels that you can yeah. draw and be like, oh, like... This well, might be how you we. approach it. You can do that.
1: that when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract. You could do something that doesn't really make sense. Uh, but, the, I mean, I don't know if that tells us what he's going to do with Delvin Cook or not. I do think it, it makes it so vital the head coach that he gets and having them be on the same page. And what you can really say then is anybody in this front office who isn't with us is against us and and we're going to move on from you. And that doesn't sound like the, Oh, we're going to collaborate and listen to everybody's takes, but that is a ridiculous notion. Okay. That is not possible it is not possible to be like, oh, we're just going to hear everybody's opinions and then we're all going to decide like a democracy. That's, Somebody has to be in charge. That's what they and keep trying to sell.
2: Like, it, gosh, it's it's Spielman tried to sell thing. that and there were four voices at one point that made every decision on this roster. It was Scott Studwell, it was George Payton, Rob Brzezinski, and Rick Spielman. They can act like groupthink was the way to go about like, let's get to a consensus. At the end of the day, there is a decision maker because right. if there's not an adult in the room, then you end up like spinning your wheels and making the same mistake after mistake. Now I'm not saying like I hope that there's collaboration. I hope that they open the processes up differently and do different process like have different, you know, organizational structure of how you have people that are currently in their roles, whether you elevate them, whether you give them different responsibilities, because it grew stale. It grew stale, their approach. Like 16 years of the same thing. You need to shake that up. Right. I also think that like they just stopped listening
1: to what mattered. Like if someone came to you and said, maybe you shouldn't sign Kyle Rudolph to this huge extension because that's ridiculous. um, Rick Spielman said, I don't care. And I'm doing it anyway because we got to win now because I have to save my job. I think that's very different than saying like I'm the guy in charge. And I know these are small things, but I'm just talking about how difficult this is going to be. And maybe he doesn't realize it when he says, Shout out to all my football ops guys in Cleveland. Tuesdays will never be the same. It's like it ain't it ain't the guys anymore. You're the guy. Mm-hmm. And you're then not gonna, you're not gonna now, make
2: a lot of friends right. like early on. that's gonna be tough, I think. Right. Where, you know, before you were part of the process, but Andrew Barry was the one pulling the strings on what happens and ultimately the blame falls on him. You were you were the you were the one B, and now you are the head honcho. Right. So it changes.
1: As Michael Scott showed us, you can't be friends with your coworkers, um, right? I mean, isn't that the fundamental problem with the office that Michael Scott has is that he wants everyone to be his friend and it just doesn't work. And so I think that that's going to be a transition process that happens behind the scenes with him to understanding how to be the guy in charge. I just get the impression that he doesn't really know how to do that yet and doesn't give that off yet. And like you said, wanting to be liked is a clear thing from him. Like, even saying to us, oh, yeah, I want to ask you guys how your weekend are. I'm like, yeah, but you really shouldn't, though. Like, that's, like, I, I mean, that's fine, but, like, we're not friends, And that's not going to be how this works. We want, we want accessibility. We want answers for fans, but that's not how that works. Like us liking you can't matter. I
2: I tend to think though, remember how big of a buzzword culture was the last day that everybody, well, the first day of the new era when Zimmer and Spielman were gone, everybody's talking about, I don't want to be in a fear based organization. Mm -hmm. I want people in the hallway to say hi to me. I think he's trying to disarm people to be like, Hey, I'm not like the last people that were here. Like, He's it's it's not just this that he's tasked with like the football stuff. Building the culture is not just the coaching staff. He's got to communicate with the business side here. He's got to make this a non you know, not what it was before because I think it got so toxic and so out of hand Oh yeah, that now you're starting to hear stories coming out behind the scenes. You have Rick Spielman going on podcasts or Con (laughs) Coward's show and saying that your quarterback has to have a relationship with the coach and especially if it's a defensive coach. Like, huh, wonder who he's talking about. Like, it's very clear where things were frayed. And I think that he's coming in as somebody with an optimistic viewpoint of, you know, Like I really did appreciate the one thing that he talked about where gratitude, like my mom always told me this, the people that you meet on the way up are the same people that you're going to meet on the way down. And that means that like you are gracious and you're kind and that you're respectful of everybody that works with you because one day they might be your damn boss. Okay, like, and I think that he—that's what I gar- garnered from that. Where it's not this, I coming, I'm coming in, and I know everything. Right, I'm a genius. Right. Every, your question's dumb. Like, I didn't feel that anything went in there. Like, I didn't feel like anybody asked a dumb question in there. I wish we had had time to ask about cousins, but like, that's a moot point. Um, I felt like he came across as respectful in trying to. Level with people yep. of like, hey, yep. we can be on the same page. Time will tell how that works out as far as the the relationship with media, the relationship with the personnel staff, the relationship with the coaching staff. And, you know, his first task in getting that right is go out in the next five days or so before the dominoes mm-hmm. keep falling. And because there's two coaches now off the market and go get one.
1: Right. I'll, my whole point, um, and we can sort of wrap on this, is just that this will take time to understand what this job takes. Yes. And... Everybody has the answers when they do their first press conference, and then Mm -hmm. things get really hard. And uh, the Gerson Rosas example is a good one. He had a press conference just like that. He talked about the organization just like that. And two years in, people inside the organization are saying, he's a tyrant, he doesn't listen to anybody, you know, all these sorts of things,
0: right? And made, and like still made great personnel moves that are like manifesting now, Right. but the other stuff was terrible, right? Like, so you can be good. So, I mean, Kwesi might be great at the interpersonal, And terrible at the personnel. And we wouldn't necessarily know all the whole picture, but that could be going on behind the scenes. Right.
1: We're going to learn this over a number of years, how this plays out and not today. But I think that him being in a position where he doesn't have to fix a roster tomorrow and learn how to run an organization tomorrow. And this can happen over at least a year into maybe 2023 is when you start talking about, okay, now you've got a rookie quarterback that's on his second year Mm. and now all that sort of stuff. I think it's the right fit for the timeline of the Vikings, for where they're at, and the, the next, realistic timeline. Yeah, for the realistic where one. At. And the next step is the head coach, and the next step after that is the quarterback. And of course, we will be around <laughs> for these things. So, thank you, Courtney, for all of your You're time. Welcome. Thank you, Sam, as always. Another fri- Friday roundtable. But um, I'm, I'm aiming for another bonanza over the weekend. I'm trying for that um, to have more episodes that come out over the weekend so you can listen to them leading up to the game. So we'll see how many I can get, but I know my friend Danny Cunningham from Cleveland is going to talk about Quazy in their front office as well. Um, so appreciate everybody listening as always. And it is uh, exciting times for football. Have a good day. Thank you. Football.